Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Mark chapter 4, verse 35, through chapter 5, verse 2. This can be found on page 998 of your Pew Bible. Following a long day of teaching, Jesus' ministry continues with an evening crossing the Sea of Galilee. Quickly, they are confronted by a violent storm, and the disciples' fear of perishing becomes greater than their faith in Jesus. A reading from Mark chapter 4, beginning with the 35th verse. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. It was my first year in the army and I was a bright eyed and bushy tailed second lieutenant, a butter bar as they're enduringly called because of their one gold bar rank. And like most butter bars, admittedly, I knew absolutely nothing about the army or about soldiering. So one day I was out in the field for a war exercise with my engineer brigade, and there were about 3,000 of us soldiers on ground. And I remember a few things as a young soldier. First, I remember being impressed by all the soldiers doing their specific job to accomplish the mission. For example, the combat engineers were dug in in foxholes on the perimeter, pulling security. The cooks were building field kitchens to feed soldiers that were hungry. The medics were building medical aid stations and setting up to take care of those who were injured. And of course, the officers were gathered together in countless tent villages in meetings, because officers love meetings. And I remember just as quickly as the mission started, everything stopped. And as a young soldier, I was wondering why. We got called into a formation. I remember all 3,000 of us, and we stood there at attention. For about 15 minutes, I stood there straight as a board. And I remember still wondering to myself, what could possibly command the attention of 3,000 people? Well, then he appeared. Lieutenant General Thomas Bostick. 
in all of his glory. The two-star commander of the entire engineer corps. A man with over 50,000 soldiers under his command. And I remember a few things about witnessing this man. First, about three minutes before he arrived, his flag officer scurried out. And he planted his flag in the ground with the number of stars on his chest. That's right, if you're a general officer in the army, you have a flag officer that carries around your flag and they plant it in the ground about five minutes before you arrive anywhere so that everybody knows you're a big deal and you're showing up. <laughs> and I remember watching him walk out in front of the 3,000 in, all in formation. And it wasn't just him. He was surrounded by all, by all these aides and adjutants. And I had one thought in the back of my mind as a young soldier. That is authority. I think it was the first time I had ever experienced any authority at that level in my life. And I felt an emotion for the first time in uniform. Fear. Because I realized that this imperfect man had complete authority over my life. And some of you have probably had similar experiences where you've been in the presence of greatness. Whether it was a politician or a CEO or a military officer or a celebrity. And what I find interesting is when we're in the presence of greatness, we often feel a mixture of two things. Awe, we want to be like that person, and fear. They're kind of scary. And so my question for us this morning is simple. If we're that awestruck by earthly authority, what could it possibly be like for us to be in the presence of infinite authority? I mean, if I was that awestruck by a general whose glory consisted of a few ribbons on his chest and the command of a few thousand people, what would I possibly feel being in the presence of the one that spoke the very universe into existence? The one that says to the sun each morning, rise, and to the moon each evening, come out. Well, I believe that's what our text is going to show us today. We're launching a new sermon series this morning titled, The King. And in this series, we're going to be focusing on Jesus specifically as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this morning in Mark chapter 4, what we're going to see first is that as king, Jesus has all authority, even over nature. So we're going to pick up our text towards the end of our reading today in verse 39. If you want to follow along with me in the Pew Bible in front of you, you can do so. It's on page 998. And this is what it says in verse 39 of Mark chapter 4. And he, Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I love this question the disciples ask in verse 41. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I think if we're intellectually honest in our approach to faith and in our approach to this person of Jesus, there comes a time in all of our lives where we must ask the same question. Who then is this? So what does the Bible show us about this man Jesus in our text this morning? Well, specifically what we see here is he's asleep in a boat because he's exhausted. 
He's just been teaching for some time and he wants to lay down, which is understandable. And this reveals that Jesus is human. We learn from the Psalms that God never slumbers or sleeps, but we find Jesus here sleeping. But what does this sleeping man get up and do? Well, he stands up and I imagine he's in a somewhat groggy state at this point. I imagine Jesus with some long hair, maybe some bedhead. And what does this half asleep man do? Well, notice this is important. He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask God for help. No, all he does is rebuke the wind and the sea. So this deems a question, what exactly is a rebuke? Pastor Nathan talked about this a few weeks ago. A rebuke is what you do with someone or something underneath your authority. For example, Nathan, he has to rebuke me sometimes when I do stupid things, which happens more often than I'd like to admit. When I was deployed, my commander would often rebuke soldiers that got into trouble. He would sit down with them and he would say, son, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. <laughs> Don't worry, Nathan's nicer than that. You might rebuke your toddler if they try to run towards the street or towards danger or rebuke a pet if there's an accident in the house. And in the same way we would rebuke a pet, Jesus rebukes a storm. No theatrics, no chance. He just stands up and calls it down. Jesus essentially puts the wind and the waves in a timeout, like I would do with my two-year-old Samuel. So what does this show us about Jesus? Well, it shows us that he's not merely a man, but that he's also God. Jesus is the God-man. He's God incarnate. And as God, he has all authority, even over nature. So what's the natural response to witnessing this type of authority? Well, you'll see it right here in the passage. Did you notice what it said in verse 41? It said, the disciples were filled with great fear. Notice their fear is not gone. It's just shifted from their circumstances to a person. They go from being afraid of a storm to being very afraid of Jesus. And this is the response to witnessing this type of authority, similar to my response to witnessing that general of the engineer corps. And I think this is important for us because we often tend to think of Jesus as a loving and kind man, which he is, don't get me wrong. But friends, He's also God, which means that he's scary because he has all authority and he cannot be controlled by any person. And I believe sometimes we get so focused on Jesus as a friend, we forget about his authority. And when we forget about his authority, we forget about his majesty. And when we forget his majesty, we actually make Jesus much smaller than he is. And I've been dwelling on this idea of a God that's far too small this past week. And as I've been dwelling on this concept, my meditation brought me to a strange passage found in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6, where it says this, the fear of the Lord is your treasure. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. As I read this verse, I was somewhat confused, I thought to myself, that's an odd line. How is the fear of God my treasure? 
But as I started to dwell on it, what I think Isaiah meant as he wrote these words is that when we fear God, the authority above all authorities, above everything else, it puts all of our other fears in their rightful place. Jesus would later put it this way in Matthew chapter 10. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. I love this passage because Jesus essentially says when we fear God, when we revere him and recognize his majesty as the one true king, it, fears, it frees us from all of our fears, including our greatest fear, the fear of death. I've been reading a book on this fear of death over the past few weeks. It's entitled The Denial of Death by Ernst Becker. I know, just some light reading in my spare time. But the author, he talks about this premise, that throughout history, humanity has feared one thing more than everything else, death. And in our fear of death, we choose to live in denial in countless ways. He says this, modern man is drinking and drugging himself out of awareness, or he spends his time shopping, which is the same thing. He goes on to say that the only way we can rightly face death is by clinging to a higher power. And I believe what Becker is getting at is that when we fear God, when we recognize him as the majesty above all else, it frees us from our final fear, death. It clearly did for the men in the boat with Jesus that day as they go from being afraid of death to going on to die specifically for Jesus. So if we recognize Jesus as the authority of all authorities, if he's truly divine, what is the implication for us? What's the practical piece for us in life? Well, it's simple. If Jesus is the authority of all authorities, we're not. Some of us are absolutely exhausted this morning because we're operating as our own king. We're our own authority. And as our own king, we've been trying to orchestrate our own little universe. And this is a great way to get burnt out. So if that's you this morning, I want to just allow you to take a moment to surrender lordship of your life over to Jesus. You see, I think a lot of us have accepted Jesus as Savior, but we haven't accepted him as Lord. So there's a really simple way we can do this. I just want to invite you to open up your hands if you want to surrender lordship of your entire life over to Jesus. And I want to invite you to pray this prayer after me. King Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Please come and be the king. Amen. Praise God. Just a heads up, if that's the first time you prayed that, I can guarantee you it's not the last time you'll need to in life. So, okay, we see that the disciples are afraid. They clearly see Jesus' majesty. But our story doesn't end with the disciples cowering in fear of Jesus. What we actually see is God is doing something much bigger 
than just revealing his majesty, his glory. So let's read on about that in verse 35. It says this, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. I want to give us some context here. Jesus has just called the 12 disciples. They're brand new in following him. And he started doing his ministry in Galilee, and his ministry is going absolutely gangbusters. If he was an influencer today, he'd be on top. He has a huge crowd of Jews following him. In fact, the crowd is so large that he's gotten into a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd is gathered on the shore to hear him. We know he was most likely in a natural amphitheater. And eventually after teaching for some time, he's exhausted. So he turns to the disciples and he says, let us go across to the other side. But this is a loaded statement because Jesus, the authority above all authorities, he's doing something intentional here early in his ministry with his disciples. He's leading them out of Galilee, out of Jewish territory, into non-Jewish territory, into the Gentile region. You see, in the first century, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee is what we call the Decapolis. Deca meaning ten, and polis meaning cities. These were ten Hellenistic or Greek-speaking cities. And what I find interesting about Jesus' request to go to the other side is that no self-respecting Jew in the first century would have ever gone there, ever. In fact, they would have done their best to completely avoid that region. You see, in the first century Jewish worldview, there was not only unclean food and practices, but there were unclean people that you didn't talk to. This would be kind of like me getting up and saying to you, okay, church, our next men's retreat is going to be on the Las Vegas Strip. Some of you would be excited about that. Some of you feel a little scandalized. And that's exactly the way the original audience would have felt reading this text. So why is Jesus taking the disciples to Las Vegas? Well, he's doing so to free one man who's severely oppressed and isolated from his community. Matthew chapter 4 reminds us that Jesus went on later to minister to the multitudes in the Decapolis, bringing deliverance and healing to many. So what does this decision reveal about the authority of authorities? Well, it shows us something beautiful, that the authority of all authorities, he actually loves all people. In other words, there's no person or group of people that's truly God-forsaken. As Jesus looks down on the world right now, there's no person that he looks at and doesn't say, that person belongs to me. And I think this is an important word for us today because as our nation continues to get more tribal and more divided, there's a tendency within our own hearts, within my own heart, to write off certain people and certain groups of people as beyond God's grace. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor this morning, that is not from God. If you've written off any person or any group of people, that is not God's desire because he loves all people. And he desires for all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is partly why I love being the pastor of evangelism, because I know that evangelism, telling people about Jesus, that mission is not rooted in my own heart or my own authority. Rather, it's rooted in the heart and the authority of God. 
A few months ago, I got the opportunity to witness someone living firsthand into this mission to go to the other side when I went to Guatemala City to visit one of our mission partners, Lemonade International. Lemonade is an organization that runs five schools in Guatemala City. And just a few notes about Guatemala City. Everyone is fleeing the city right now because the cartels are so strong. In fact, of the 11 boroughs of Guatemala City, four of them have been declared red by the state, which means the cartels run the entire borough. And as everyone's fleeing the city, uh, Lemonade International is rushing in. The, gang, the gangs are so controlling and so powerful, in fact, if a kid lives on the edge of gang territory and their school is in another gang territory, they can't attend the school because the rival gang will murder them for reciprocity. And so Lemonade has seen a need to educate these children. So I met the pastor of Lemonade International, Pastor William, and I asked him a really simple question. I said, William, how do you decide to launch a new school? And he said, we ask ourselves four things. First, is the neighborhood filled with violent crime? Second, do the gangs control everything? Third, is there abject poverty? Are there people starving? And fourth, is there a local leader that's standing up to the gangs? If the answer to all four questions is yes, we start a school. I was absolutely floored by this. You see, this man, he was living into this mission like Jesus to cross over to the other side. And this is what excites me so much, church, about going to Stanford. Because Stanford's no Guatemala City, don't get me wrong. But we've sacrificed so much time, talent, and treasure to be there. But it's so worth it. There's no higher goal than possibly crossing to the other side and bringing deliverance and healing and the name of Jesus to another community. This is what excites me so much about what we're doing in Stanford. And this is what I'm so excited for this afternoon. We're going to be there sharing about Jesus. Come out. Amen. Join us as we share about Jesus. There's no greater goal. So, okay, Jesus is the authority of all authorities. He loves all people. For some of you, that's easy to understand. But what we see next in the text, it might be a little harder to accept. And what we see here last in Mark chapter 4 is that Jesus, he not only has all authority and all love for the people out there, but he loves you as well. And you, and you, and you. He especially loves you, Pastor Nathan. <laughs> so let's take a look at that in verse 36. It says this, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the wind and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Did you hear that last line? Teacher. Do you not care that we are perishing? We can infer a few different things from the last line, and one is that this storm was really bad. Most of the men in the boat had grown up on the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. They had seen countless storms. But this storm was different, and in the midst of it, they're absolutely terrified of death. And they wake Jesus up, and notice the question they ask him is not, Lord, help us. They don't ask that. 
No, they say, don't you care that we're dying? And I find this statement so intriguing because like the disciples, often our circumstances can blind us from the love of God. The disciples are so blinded by the storm, it's as if they forget the king of the universe is in the boat with them. And maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like, Lord, do you even care? What I find so interesting about this statement made by the disciples is, of course, Jesus cared. In fact, it wouldn't be too long from this moment when he showed them how much he cared. So how much did the authority of all authorities care for the disciples and how much does he care for you? Well, the authority of all authorities, he loved you so much that he stepped off the throne of the universe for you. The one who spoke the very stars into the sky. And he was born a helpless baby for you. And he went all the way to death on a cross for you and for me. That's how much he cares. And that's the good news. That Jesus, he's not only the authority of all authorities, but that he loves all people, including you. Thanks be to God. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.